All right, well, good morning and welcome again. Uh, as always, we're glad you guys are here. You know, it's cool every week uh, we see uh, faces coming back, new faces showing up for the first time. So we never want to take for granted how, just how thankful we are that you guys are here, that you guys are joining us. Uh, for those of you watching at home, uh, we're thankful that you're continuing uh, to watch our service. Well, today we're continuing this short series that we began last week called Reconnect. Uh, this is a series that is an exploration of John 15. And we're looking at this uh, invitation to reinvest in our relationship with Jesus and our relationship with the church. That as things kind of slowly get back to normal, as we begin to kind of rebuild and re-engage our lives and our different routines and schedules, that we make sure that our connection with Jesus is guiding this process. And last week we began the series by looking at the importance of life with God, of remaining in Jesus, being connected to him through practices like prayer, worship, devotion, and how essential that is to our lives. And this morning as we continue to explore this passage, we want to look at what flows out of life for God, and that is a life of fruitfulness. So we're just going to go ahead and dive uh, right back into this passage. Uh, we're going to read the whole thing once again. Uh, this is a passage that really was meant to be experienced as a whole. So we're going to read John chapter 15, verses 1 to 17. Jesus says to his disciples, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Uh, several years ago, I was uh, on a trip uh, up in the Pacific Northwest with Alyssa and her family. And we were driving from Seattle to Vancouver, which is a really beautiful drive with a lot of you know, green, lush farmland. 
And at some point on the drive, we came across a small farm with a very inviting sign. Come pick your own fresh berries. Now, this isn't something that we get to do every day, so we stopped. Went to the farm, chatted with the, the workers for a little bit, and they gave us a little basket. And we spent the next hour or so wandering around this berry farm. Uh, and there were just rows and rows of berry trees or bushes or vines. I don't know what berries grow on, but they kind of look like vines. And it's kind of a, a magical experience, you know, looking for good fruit. Bright pink raspberries, big uh, juicy blackberries, uh, all kinds of different berries that I, I don't even know the names of. And every so often we'd be able to just kind of stop and, and sample a berry right off of the vine uh, so we could decide, you know, which ones we wanted to choose and which trees to pick from. And as we wandered through the farm, it was always exciting to come across a good tree. I would say that most of the trees on this farm ranged somewhere from just kind of barren to just okay. You know, a lot of them had been picked over. A lot of them had fruit that wasn't that great, wasn't totally right. Maybe the berries were a little bit small. But when you came across a tree that was full of good fruit, it was like finding treasure because you could just kind of sit and pick from this tree and have your choice of their very best, tastiest, sweetest berries. And I tell you this story uh, because this is an experience that Jesus expects us to understand when we talk about the vine and the branches in John 15. He's speaking to a, a group of people who are familiar with olive and, and grape and all kinds of different vineyards and all different kinds of plants. They spent their lives among these kinds of farms. And so they understood the difference between good fruit and bad fruit. They understood the life and the joy and the excitement of finding a tree full of good fruit. And they understood the uselessness, the wastefulness, and the disappointment of a tree that bore no fruit or bore bad fruit. And it's important that we understand this because at the heart of this passage is a very simple idea that we were made to bear good fruit. That's why we exist in the vineyard. That's why we're connected to the vine. This is what gives our lives value and makes them pleasing to God and attractive to others, the fruit that we bear. And this is what Jesus wants us to see in John 15. And he uses this most basic metaphor because he wants his disciples to understand this before he leaves them. He says, this is why I've called you. This is why I chose you. This is what your lives are about. Bearing fruit. And not just any fruit. Fruit that will last. Fruit that is glorifying to God. Fruit that flows out of their relationship with Jesus. And so this morning, as we continue to look at this passage, we want to talk about this fruit-bearing process. How it is that good fruit grows in each one of us. Next week, we're going to look at a little bit more of the specifics of what this fruit looks like. And that's obviously an important question. 
But today we want to focus in on this specific question of process. How Jesus grows good fruit in us as we're connected to him. And in our passage, what we find is two pretty simple principles for growth. Now they're simple, but they are not easy. And it requires us to understand them and submit to them to experience fruit in our lives. And so the first principle is that fruitfulness comes only from the true vine. Genuine, God-honoring fruit only happens when we pursue growth out of our connection to Jesus. Now again, last week, Pastor Eric talked about the importance of our connection with Jesus and this idea that when we're connected to him, when we know him, when we're experiencing him, that's how fruit grows. And that's the foundation of this principle. But I'm not going to focus on that this morning because we talked about being connected with Jesus last week. But there's another really important emphasis in this passage when we talk about Jesus being the vine and us being the branches. And it's making sure that we understand that he is really, genuinely, the only source of good fruit. Let's look at Jesus' opening words, the way he begins this sermon. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now, obviously, Jesus is saying something about himself. He's saying something about who he is. But he's also saying something profound about what everyone and everything else is not. He's saying, I am the only true vine, so that's not a true vine, that's not a true vine, that's not a true vine. Nothing else will bring you good fruit. No one else provides the vitality, the power to provide, produce real meaningful fruit. And this is a really important detail when we consider the vine imagery. For first century Jews like the disciple, when they thought of a vine, any Jew worth his or her salt thought of Israel. This was a metaphor that they saw in the Old Testament that was used throughout Jewish society. And so they thought about God's law. They thought about Torah. They thought about the holy days. They thought about this whole life in connection to their Israelite faith. They thought about faith and fruitfulness in terms of Israel. This is how they lived lives of purpose and value, how they were able to please God. And so when Jesus says, I'm the true vine, he's saying, that's not anymore. Now that I'm here, this thing that you've been looking to for life and purpose, it's not that. It's only me. This would be a little bit like if uh, one day Jesus showed up in our modern world and he headed over to Staples Center. And he went into Staples, he walked around, and he found LeBron James. And obviously there's a group of people hanging out around LeBron. And so Jesus stands up right next to LeBron and he says, I am the true king. Now obviously that's true. Jesus has called himself a king before, and everyone would understand that that's what he's saying about himself. But most of the people, if they know about LeBron James and how he calls himself 
King James and how his logo is a crown, a lot of people would hear that statement and they would hear Jesus saying, also, that guy, not a true king. Really good at basketball, so-so actor, not a king. Not the guy you want ruling over your life. If you're choosing kings, true kings, make sure you choose the right one. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying there's only one vine. There's only one source of fruitfulness for your life. And he unpacks this idea throughout the passage. He says, hey, apart from me, you can do nothing. That means left on your own, by your own power, your own success, your own smarts, your own goodness, doing it yourself, you can't bear fruit. You can produce some stuff that might look good, that might seem important, but ultimately it, it withers, ultimately it fades. He says you can connect yourself to anything else that says it will give you life, work and achievement, relationships, family, hobbies, philanthropy, whatever you want. Again, it'll look good. It might produce some growth, but it won't produce real fruit. I think probably the most challenging, but maybe the nearest application to what Jesus is saying here, is the idea that Jesus would probably even caution us against viewing the church as the vine. One of the biggest dangers to genuine fruitfulness is the belief that church activity is the same as being connected to Jesus. That so long as we're doing church stuff, like going to service every Sunday, like listening to a sermon, like singing worship songs, like serving in a ministry, like joining in a small group. If we just do the church stuff, we'll bear fruit. But Jesus says, it's not that either. It's me. It's genuine connection, relationship with me. Now, obviously, you know, we believe in the church. And we believe that there is vitality and fruitfulness in being a part of the church. But we have to realize that there are no shortcuts, no substitutes for the life-giving nourishment of the vine. That what we do here only matters if it points us to, if it connects us to Jesus. When we worship, we need to be focused on God's glory, God's presence. When we hear, read scripture, we want to focus on hearing his voice, listening to his will for our lives. When we pray, we need that to be our connection, our relationship with him. We have to make sure that it is the vine that's the focus. That as a body, our goal first and foremost is for more of Jesus. Not more church. And I think this is just a great thing to reflect on as we are beginning to come back together, if we're beginning to rebuild and, and, and restart church stuff, jump back into old ministries, start new ministries, sing old songs, sing new songs, talk to old people, talk to new people, talk to young people, is to ask the question, why am I here? 
to recheck our motives, our hearts. Am I pursuing genuine connection with the vine through everything I do at church here at CBC? And on top of that, how is my understanding of what matters in life, of what's real fruit, how is that defined by my life with Jesus? And that brings us to our our second principle for growth, another way that we submit ourselves to the fruit-bearing life of Jesus. And that is that fruitfulness requires pruning and trimming. I think one of the hardest, most challenging parts of this passage is God's role as the gardener of the vineyard. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, and God is the gardener. And I think this is the part of the passage that maybe doesn't totally sit right with us. If you've ever memorized this kind of section of scripture, maybe you kind of skip over this part when you memorize it. Because in John 15, he only tells us two things the gardener does, pruning and cutting. Verse 2 says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. I don't know, that might sound a little scary to you. I think every time I read that verse, like, ooh, man, you know, I kind of expect to see God like watering the plants or taking care of them, guarding them from pests. But here we have this image of God with a knife. And it sets us off a little bit. Now, I want to say this first about the cutting of the branches. And this isn't really the focus uh, of this point. But it's important to address because at first glance, it feels like Jesus is talking about uh, judgment and, and condemnation and hell. Like, if you don't grow fruit, I'm going to throw you into the fire. What we have to recognize is that the point Jesus is making, he's not trying to explain systematic theology or systematic doctrine. He's not trying to give a detailed explanation of how people are saved, why they're saved, whether they can fall away from him once they're saved. All Jesus is doing in this passage is trying to explain the importance of fruitfulness. That fruitfulness is what we're made for. Fruitfulness is us fulfilling our purpose. And so he's comparing and contrasting two different kinds of branches, the ones that are fruitful and are thus fulfilling their purpose, and the ones that are not. And these ones may as well be dead, withering branches that are disconnected from the vine. Jesus isn't issuing a threat. He tells the disciples, hey, don't worry about that part. You're already clean. You've already begun to bear fruit and experienced pruning. He's not threatening them. He's simply illustrating this contrast between fruitfulness and not fruitfulness. More than that, it's a reminder of God's heart for his people. Uh, He made us from the very beginning to bear fruit. He's taking us back to the first garden. This is what you exist for, to bear fruit. And so the emphasis here, when we talk about Jesus as the vine, us as the branches, and God as the gardener, for us the emphasis is on pruning. The importance of pruning to the fruit-bearing process. Now I'll be honest, as with every 
gardening or agricultural metaphor in the Bible. I don't know anything about this. Pruning is not my area of expertise. Whenever I see Alyssa trimming the rose bushes, I'm like, what are you doing? They look so ugly now. You turn these like green leaves into a rose bush skeleton. Stop it. But the basics of pruning are that cutting and trimming produces more growth. See, a plant like a grapevine, uh, when left unchecked, it just grows and grows and grows and grows. It'll grow wild all over the place into this tangled mess of vines. And eventually, it'll grow so much, and it'll have this big old web of, of vine branches that some of the branches will actually be within this tangled mass and hidden from the sun, unable to grow, just kind of stuck where they are. And so pruning is about cutting away growth that might look good, that might seem green and leafy and bright and shiny and new, but cutting that away so that new growth can occur. Cutting that away because it's actually hurting the branch and the plant. And this helps us understand God's role in growing fruitful people. And more than that, I think it helps us to see his love, his goodness in the pruning process. It's not about God cutting for the sake of cutting. It's not discipline for the sake of discipline. It's not taking stuff away from us because he doesn't want us to be happy. God doesn't prune us to punish us. He doesn't prune us to give us a kick in the butt so that we get going. He says, I'm pruning you so that you bear more fruit. He prunes those who are already bearing fruit so that they would grow more, so that they would continue to bear new fruit, so that they would continue to push forward into new growth, to be who we were meant to be. But here's the thing that I think we all know and we all understand when we hear this pruning idea is that sometimes that means cutting away at things that we think are good, things that we think are important. Pruning oftentimes involves cutting back, trimming goals and ambitions, priorities and activities that we think are full of life that we think are a part of who we are, but may actually be hurting us from growing in the direction that God wants, from taking on the shape and the fruit that God has called us to. And this is one of the hard truths, hard inescapable truths of the fruit-bearing life, is that it can be very painful. Uh, when I look back on the periods of my life when I was experiencing pruning, it's not like, you know, I was just sitting back thinking like, oh, cool, God is pruning me. That's wonderful. God, go ahead and do your thing. I didn't really care about all that stuff that I've been working on anyway. Go ahead and take that and take that and take that. Most of us don't think that when we're experiencing pruning. Instead, we think, God, what are you doing? That was really important to me. I thought this is something you wanted me to do. God, this hurts. God, stop. 
Why are you doing this? Seasons of pruning can be full of disappointment, uncertainty, worry. And these seasons happen, I think, a lot more often than we want them to. And as hard as that is, this passage reminds us of how important pruning is and how much it's a picture of God's love for us of God's desire to help us to grow to the best versions of ourselves. Because we really are like wild vines, I think. You know, if left unchecked, we're, we're prone to pursuing growth in every direction. Our lives can very easily become a tangled mess of leaves and branches. Left to our own devices, we will choke out the very fruit we were meant to grow. A really good friend of mine right now is in a period of what I would call wild, unchecked growth. And it really is heartbreaking to see a life without any pruning, without any discipline, without any trimming, just doing whatever he wants to. And from the outside looking in, my deepest prayer for him in this phase, is that God would prune. That God would cut back at some of these things. That God would show his love for my friend by taking some things that I know are really important to him. I think it's easy to see the importance of pruning in other people's lives, but the challenge is to invite it in our own. To recognize that we need the steady trusted hand of the gardener to firmly but gently cut back at the parts of our lives that are getting in the way of fruitfulness. And so one of the most important things that Jesus wants to say in this passage is that we have to be ready and willing to endure pruning. That we have to be ready and willing to pursue fruitfulness, even when it comes at a cost. That whether things are good or things are bad, the question in front of us is, God, how are you growing more fruit in me right now? God, how do you want me to grow to be more like Jesus? How do you want me to live out my connection to the vine? And as hard as this can be, I think this is really where the beauty of the passage shows up, the beauty of Jesus' message. Because in this pruning, in this experience of hardship, we realize that Jesus, the vine, isn't just the source of fruitfulness. He is our source of strength. That the reason why we as branches can endure pruning can continue to grow, can bear fruit, rather than withering and dying, is because we are connected to the vine. Because even amidst these challenges, these painful moments, Jesus is our source of peace, of joy, of strength. And so it's in seasons of pruning 
that we lean into our connection of the vine even more. Uh, this morning, as we close our time, uh, we're going to sing uh, a song that I really love. It's called King of My Heart. And one of the cool things about this song, uh, I only realized this when, when Matt texted me, and I was like, hey, why did you choose that song? I was like, oh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look it over and give him a good explanation. But I realized that all of these metaphors in King of My Heart are really just an extension, a parallel, a building on of this picture of Jesus as the true vine. In this song, we ask and invite Jesus to really be our source of life and strength, to be the king of my heart, the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, the wind inside my sails, the anchor in the waves, the fire in my veins. He is my song. This is an invitation for God to be the vine, for God to be the king. And so as we sing this morning, I hope you've experienced that, Jesus as your true vine, and that his fruitfulness would flow through us and in us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for being our vine, our rock, our strength, our source of life and joy. We thank you that it's in our connection to you that we find everything that we need and everything that we're looking for. God, I pray that we would continue this process of leaning into our relationship with you, of remaining in you, abiding in you. And God, we want to be open to the fruit that you want to produce in us. Not the growth that we want, not the growth that we think looks good, but the growth that you have created us for. So God, we invite you to be who you're going to be. We invite you to do what you said you would do. God, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.